This is Champagne Problems, where we come together to explore the gray areas of drinking. This is a judgment-free zone where we can all take a look at how we make decisions about our relationship with alcohol. Welcome back, beautiful people. Today we have the one and only Brandon Novak in the house. Brandon Novak first rose to fame as a world-renowned professional skateboarder. He was discovered by skate legend Tony Hawk when he was just a teenager and was the youngest member of the Powell Perelta team. At the age of 15, Brandon landed endorsement deals with Gatorade and even starred in commercials with Michael Jordan. Beyond his professional skateboarding, Brandon went on to be a member of the Jackass crew, performing insane stunts and starring in their TV shows and movies. And as we so often hear, with that fame came a price. Let's go to Brandon to hear the rest. Brandon Novak, welcome to Champagne Problems. Thank you for having me, man. And a champagne problem it was getting on this motherfucker. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Love it. Well, thank you for coming on. Thank you for going through all the damn loops and 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 mazes it took to get on here. We're um... it actually correction. It wasn't a champagne problem. It was more of like a Coors Light problem. <laughs> that's right. A silver bullet. Like a, yeah, that's a good way to frame it. Or, yeah, there we it go. It was like a Schlitz, pro a Schlitz problem. Schlitz, yeah. <laughs> real, real quick. I want to give out give a shout out to my boy Kevin Mike Lazik for connecting us. Brandon, um, I don't know if you remember, I met you probably five or six years ago when Emerald School of Excellence, the Recovery High School, was in its genesis, and you came to a speaking event at a high school. They had you come and share your story because it was the beginning of of, of Emerald. And uh, we talked and connected for a minute, talked a little bit about Chris Heron and, and y'all's relationship at the time. I was still working with them over at Heron Project. And then I've seen you kind of connect with a bunch of my friends down in Delray, Jeremy Plummer, and I know you and Kevin are close. Kevin's one of my best friends, so I wanted to give him a shout-out, tell him thank you for connecting us and and for you coming here and, and uh, giving us your time today. So we appreciate you, man. Definitely, man. Definitely. Thanks for having me. Kevin is like uh... – Kevin is my sponsor that I've never asked to sponsor me. <laughs> yeah, he'll do that. Um, and and uh and so, you know, he's he's really kind of helped me uh plateau to that next level, you know, I believe when we kind of reach this point where we cap out uh, at a certain area in growth we need to like expand upon. Yeah. And uh and Kevin's been the guy that's led me through that journey. Yeah. We have uh you know, as a podcast, we've followed you for a while, and we've all, and we've always thought we wanted to get you on. We didn't quite know how, and then when I asked Patrick, he's like, "Dude, Kevin knows him," so yeah. here we are. Um, but that being said, I've known you for fucking ever. I was a skater in the '80s. Uh, I, I've followed you since you were a fucking kid, man. So I'm a little starstruck here, not to be uh, silly, <laughs> but uh, but I am. I used to ride a, a mini Lance. Remember the hot pink one with the blue skeletons? Great board, great, great graphic. Board. I remember those like it was yesterday. Absolutely. Yeah, and uh, I got to tell a quick story. I had a, I had one of those fat Mike McGill boards, mm -hmm. and I used to throw it in a swimming pool, and I would do like hand plants underwater <laughs> and shit like that. And I had a quarter pipe in my backyard, and I had a buddy on top of the quarter pipe, and this fat Mike McGill was all waterlogged. It was like 80 pounds. And I was I was coming at my buddy at the top of the quarter pipe and I shot it up at him and he jumps off and just starts running that way and he's running and running and that board is like a heat seeker. It's in the air, 50 feet in the air, comes down on his head, 
you know, 30 stitches. I mean, my dad came out with an axe and took apart my quarter pipe. Great story. <laughs> well, you know, that there's no question as to why you're in the rooms of AA or NA or PA or whatever the fuck A you've ended up with. That's right. That's right. All of them. I'm in all the A's. Um, all right, man. Well, let's get going. So we're going to do something real quick just to kind of get to know you. And it might seem silly, but we're going to rapid fire a few questions at you. Sure. First one, what was your first live concert? Uh, Public Enemy in Santa Barbara at nice. 11 years old. P.E. Holy shit. What year would that would that have been? Dude, you're talking to a, a guy. Early 80s? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Flavor yeah. Flavor, everybody was still with them. So first, yeah, some of their first albums. Wow. Fear of a Black Planet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They play yes. at the University of Santa Barbara. Uh, field. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Second one. What band do you listen to most right now? Varies depending upon my mood, but lately I've been listening to The Rakes. The Rakes. A European band. Check them out. You'll love them. On it. Comedy movie you've seen the most times. Dumb and Dumber. Yes! Me too. My dog's name is Lloyd Christmas. <laughs> you get it. When you're starving at dinner time and you want to stuff your face, where do you go? I hate food. I eat oh, the no. same thing every day. So uh, when I'm not traveling, and that always consists of salmon with rice. So I open yeah, my yeah. food, meal prep and I eat that. Nice. Very boring answer. That's all right. Yeah, no, cool it's, it's very shape. telling. We're trying yeah. to get to know you here. Yeah. <laughs> all right. When you're 75 year olds, when you're 75 years old, where do you want to live? Wherever the fuck I want to live. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, good answer. Perfect. Perfect. All right. Well, we know you now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I think we'll start. I hope you're not my detective that fucking has to track down the killer that kills me one day. <laughs> you never know with him, man. I know. <laughs> I'm you listening. Questions and think the case is unsolvable. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right, well, let's start. I mean, I think the obvious place to start is kind of your your journey. You know, I know you tell your story all the time, and 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 it's a super powerful one. And some of our listeners probably know it, but let's. I mean, let's do it, man. Let's let's hear your as long and as detailed or as short and sweet as you want to do it. Let's do it. Right. So I guess let me let me kind of process this and figure out where I want to take it from, but. But as a child, I came up in a really good home, right? I had a loving family. Um, now, if you would have asked me six months into my sobriety, one year into my sobriety, what my home life looked like, I would have told you it was the most debilitating thing that no child should ever fucking endure. And the reality is that's not the case. Right. The case is, um, right, because through sobriety. resentments. Yeah, yeah, well, through, through sobriety, I've learned, like, you know, how to, to, to look at my part in the play and, and, and see what I'm responsible for and, and what they're capable of. And, and the reality is I came from a really good home with a loving family that did the best that they could with what they had. I had goals. I had dreams. I had aspirations. I had ambitions. My mother was a nuclear physicist on the board of Mercy Hospital. My brother today is an attorney in the White House who practices pensions and benefits. My father died as a direct result of the disease of addiction. He never held a job a day in his life. He taught me one thing in life, if and when I go to prison, how to conduct myself. And he ran with the Hells Angels, rather unsavory kind of fellow, if you will. 
Me, on the other hand, I got my first skateboard at the age of seven. And that night when my mother put me to bed, she said, Brandon, what would you like me to do with this skateboard? And I said, I want it in bed. She said, why? And I said, because if I die, I want it to go with me. Right? Like, I believe everyone's given a God-given talent. You might be the best ping pong player in the world, but God might not see fit to put a paddle on your hands. Mm. Um, you know, I received the first skateboard because my sister who lived in Ocean City, Maryland at the time that would watch me during the summer to kind of get me out of that chaotic home life that my father was creating for us. Uh, and I had no desire, no attraction to a, a skateboard or the skateboarding world. By chance, one day, my sister took me to the skate park to, I wish I could remember this pro's name, but I just can't. And it drives me crazy. And she doesn't either. And she went to see this guy who turned out to be a pro skater. And, and he's talking to my sister. And, and for whatever reason, he gives me his skateboard. You know, I had no desire to want a skateboard until that moment the board touched my hand and I knew I was going to be a professional skateboarder. Uh, there was no reason for a plan B, a trait, or an option. I, I ate it, I breathed it, I slept it, I dreamt it. At the age of 14, I was the first skateboarder in the world to be endorsed by Gatorade. They were flying me to Chicago to the Quaker Oats building where they made Gatorade at the time. And they, they, they put me on this treadmill and they put Michael Jordan on a treadmill directly next to me. And they put these EKGs to our chests and they gave us each Gatorade to see the effects that it has on different types of sports players. Huh. At 15, I'm designing my pro model for PAL. I'm touring the world with Tony Hawk, Bucky Lasik, Mike Vallely, Colin McKay. Uh, and and like doing some things that people would equate to success, happiness, potentially even dream of doing it at the right young age. I can't recall the first time I picked up a drink or a drug, right? Because again, I had goals, I had dreams, I had aspirations, I had ambitions. I, I was never like seeking for something because I felt less than or, or wanted to be more of. Skateboarding provided for me at a young age with drugs and alcohol provided for me at a later age meaning you give me that skateboard at the age of seven and you put me in a room with the the world's prettiest models i'll not only believe that they've been waiting for me but that they're dying to marry me right skateboarding i mean drugs and alcohol later on down the road produced that same delusional narrative that i bought into every time mm. um, so it wasn't like i was in search of so i don't recall the first time i I, I, I sniffed that line, I drank that beer, I swallowed that pill, I hit that joint. I, I, I can recall the first time I shot the bag, but the rest of it I don't recall. Um, no. But what I do recall, as sure as the day is long, like I'm holding this cup of tea, is, is the first time that someone attempted to stand between me and it. Uh -huh. right? and, 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 and you'll hear in this very brief story that I'll give you, anything and anyone that attempts to stand between me and it meaning my drink or drug must and will go and, yeah. and it's not personal it's just business for the game that we play called addiction because yeah. i don't want to do the things that i have to do to get the next one but the disease that i possess does not allow me the privilege to sit certain things out because it would not be a safe decision for my life like that's not the disease that i have mm -hmm. and and you'll hear through this that i'm very upfront i'm extremely graphic and very descriptive with my story. As a matter of fact, I, I keep my past married to my present because the moment that I forget the pain that brought me through treatment center number 13 doors begging for another chance, it's, it's not a matter of if, but when I'll return. 
Um, and I'm not really giving you an educated guess or hypothesis. I'm telling you my experience from my story and what the outcome of said story looks like. And, and for me, I, I had done this song and dance for so long, 22 years to be exact, that at the end, walking into that 13th facility, it was it, I was no longer able to justify or minimize the disease that I had been diagnosed with or the severity of said disease. Right. Like it was very easy for me to look at the wall and see that the handwriting on the wall was my handwriting and, and that I, Mr. Brandon Novak, am the common denominator in my problems. And if I get the fuck out of my way, I might actually stand a chance at some kind of success here. Um, and everything I'm telling you today is not what I knew walking into treatment center number one. It's, right. right. It's all fucking in retrospect. My life today is live forward and learn backwards. Yep. And today I can see how I've remained sober long enough. It's very easy for me to see, to recognize the synchronicity in life's events that have led me right here, right now with you gentlemen that prove to me that the God of my understanding has been doing for me so much more than I could have ever, con ever conceived. So what it looked like the first time someone attempted to stand between me and a drink or a drug was we were on a tour and, and we were in Chicago and, and Mike Vallali was with us and, and he caught me with some drugs and to get rid of the drugs, we get off the tour. I, I throw the drugs down the sewer. We get back to the hotel. I meet a woman. She takes me back to the sewer. I fish the drugs back out. And short story long, I get kicked off with the drugs. I get caught with the drugs and not kicked off the tour. One day I receive a phone call. My mother wakes me up. She says, you have a call. And I put the receiver to my ear and it's Tony Hawk. And he said, Brandon, we have one of two options we could do with you. We can put you in the treatment. You can save your life, continue to escape for power, or you can quit the team. And from seven to 16, I, I had achieved everything I had ever dreamed of wanting. Hmm. And looking back, the insanity that's already taken place unbeknownst to me is fucking astonishing. The disconnection from reality that's already happened and I have no idea. Because Tony Hawk, my idol, right? Like the equivalent of Santa Claus to a fucking six-year-old is on my phone, giving me an ultimatum, save my life, continue to skate with us, meaning me and Tony and everyone else, or go to treatment. And I don't have a breath of fresh air in my lungs when I said I quit, right? Oh. And I didn't even see this yet. And what I know today that I didn't know then is the reason why I got beat the fuck every time I step into the ring with my opponent, meaning my addiction. It's easy to see why I get pulverized because I always underestimated the opponent that I was up against. Mm -hmm. right? Like, like I, I, and my resume and the things that I achieved didn't help me in that matter. So I part ways with them and about two months into this newfound freedom, my mother and my girlfriend come to me one day and they said, we have a great idea for you. And I said, what's that? And they said, we want you to go to treatment. Now, again, you would think that why the fuck would I accept it from them if I turned it down from my idol, Tony Hawk? But now the abnormal is becoming the normal, mm. right? The disconnection from reality and or abnormality is insane. And I think about it for a second. I said, you know what? That's an amazing idea. A, I have the time. B, I'll report to said treatment center and I'll report back to my mother and my girlfriend why I'm not you fucking nut jobs, nor will I ever be, right? This is all just an overreaction at best. Yeah. Simply call me at a bad time on a bad way and a bad day. Tomorrow is going to be different. And I mean that with my heart of hearts. I mean that tomorrow is going to be different. 
Strap me up to a polygraph. I will have every police officer in the nation pat me on the back, saying, Brandon, everyone's as honest as you are. The world will be a You're good. You're, you're saved. Like, yeah. legit, I mean that. And, and yeah. But unfortunately, I wake up tomorrow to repeat yesterday's actions, and I'm stuck in Groundhog's Day for, again, 22 years. But nonetheless, I say, okay, so at the ripe young age of 17, my mother's now put together a bag for me. They drive as quick as they drop me off at this treatment center. I turn around and they're gone. And I'm met outside by a very welcoming woman. And she said, are you Mr. Novak? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, come with me, sweetie. And she takes me into this cafeteria. And this cafeteria is completely empty at the time. There's, there's no one in it. And out of nowhere, this older black gentleman walks in and he walks directly up to me and he said, white boy, what are you doing here? I said, heroin. He said, how old are you? He said, 17. He said, do yourself a favor and don't turn 18 in a place like this. And as quick as he came, he left. He nor I had no idea the significance of this conversation was ever going to have on my life. Mind you, I'm comparing out, focusing only on the differences, not the similarities, because I'm proving a point why I don't belong. And after all, you people are my father, so fuck you, right? Mm -hmm. Like, because I actually made it a point in my life to excel at everything that I did to prove a point that I would never become him, mm -hmm. right? A lot of unresolved issues at that point in time. Um, so, you know what I can tell you about that gentleman? where the four teeth were placed in his mouth, right? Because at the time I had all mine, he's black, I'm white. He's 70 to 75, I'm 17. He smokes crack, I successfully do heroin. Hmm. He's homeless, I live with my mother and my girlfriend. God bless that man, I'm so grateful he found the answer for what she's in search of, and I mean this. Um, but what I can't tell you about that program is my, my therapist's name, that relapse prevention packet they're shoving down my throat. And, and these healthy and unhealthy boundaries are trying to instill in me because if I can relate to those things, that means that I can relate to being one of you people and I want no part. And I successfully complete that 30 day treatment center. And, and upon completion, while in there, I build no defense against the next time that I will be tempted with a drink or a drug, right? Because it's gonna come. And, and I successfully complete and, and here's the hit. I, I don't turn 18 in a place like that, like that man warned me of. And I thought to myself, what a fucking fool. Like, why does he think he would have me figured out? He's the one that needs the help. <laughs> and here's the hit. I, I turned 19, 20, 22, 23, 24, 26, 29, 32, 34, 35, 36, 37, 38 in a jail or a treatment center. Oh my God. Wow. And every year I'd sit on whatever bunk of whatever cell of whatever jail I happen to be in or, or whatever bed of whatever facility I'd happen to be in and think back to that older gentleman and say maybe if me myself Brandon Novak would have listened to him with an open mind and an open heart I would not continuously find myself in this situation year after year right like now see there's a pattern evolving and I'm starting to not even close but I can kind of recognize that that I have some accountability in these outcomes, right? But not yet, but it's, 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 it's starting to peek through just barely. Uh, hey, can I know. ask a quick question? Yeah. Did, did you say, um, or I just want to understand it right, that part of the problem in the admission and the, you know, the, the surrender and all that would have, would have been admitting that you were like your father? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That's, that's pretty powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Because like, again, looking back, they did the best that they could ever. He was a sick man who suffered.
suffer from a disease, which I more so than anyone else can fucking relate to, you know, but right. at the time I, I, I wasn't equipped with the facts of what I suffered with or even knew that I suffered yet to be able to understand him as opposed to being understood, you know, that mm -hmm. whole perspective. So I was going into a facility like, fuck you. I'm with like 80 of my fathers and I can't stand him. So now I just have to come here, successfully complete, make it through uh, to report back to my mother and my girlfriend. Why? Like you all again are overreacting. That was the whole MO of that. Mm -hmm. um, but then, you know. The, 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 the realization that I'm coming to that I'm the problem in this equation after spending each of those birthdays while caught up in active alcoholism is, is in comparison to like a guy on his sixth day of detox and he's, he's out of detox in seven days, you know, like the fog hasn't even lifted, but he's kind of coming to the realization that maybe, <laughs> yeah. but he's still sick as fuck. Yeah. Feels a lot better than he did. <laughs> yeah. Nowhere near. Yeah, yeah, like hasn't even begun anything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's where I'm at. So, but now in between all these years, all these birthdays, I'm, I'm in and out of treatment. I'm in and out of treatment. And I would, I would come in and, and I would like, I would loiter with the intent to recover. Right. Like, <laughs> like I would come in and, and, and I always believed that the therapist who they assigned to me, which generally was a, a woman, was dying to, to fuck me, right? So my brain would Obviously. create why would she not? <laughs> yeah, I mean. my, my brain would create these delusional narratives that would allow me to support and or justify my relapse behaviors when they're headed in the direction of a drink or a drug. In treatment and out of treatment, right? So I, I was so disconnected from reality, but this is a prime example of my life for the better part of 20 years. And so I would and I, I say that because I'm going to make a point and I'm going to bring it back around as, as to why I even brought that to the table. But I would go into treatment and I'd be assigned this therapist and she'd say, okay, Mr. Novak, I'm, I'm going to need you to acquire a sponsor. No problem. Uh, I'm going to need you to, uh, to, to go to those meetings and get a home group. Easy. I'm going to need you to like create a, a, an army of individuals around you uh, a fellowship, if you will, that is trying to achieve the same thing as you, which is another day sober. Got it. You know, I don't think she got the email that I was not the kid in class that would report 20 minutes late in fear that everyone's staring at him. I was the kid that would walk in class 20 minutes late, believing that everyone's been waiting for him. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so all these assignments that she's given me to do is like a fucking Monday morning hook up with some people, hang out with some people, go to where they all go and like do things together. Fuck yeah. And then every time without fail, they'd say, and we're going to need you to experience those 12 steps. And, and I'd always say that I'm beginning to sense a theme of fucking overreaction here. Oh. Right. But then, do that, 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 and that, but not that. Yeah. Right. But then for the life of me, I'll never forget it. Christmas Eve, 1997. I'm homeless, living in a shooting gallery in West Baltimore. It's fucking like 31 degrees out. All I have on is this white 2X white t-shirt, these big baggy oh. jeans, a pair of Timberland boots, and, and I'm huddled into a corner, and all I can do is put my arms into my shirt, 
my my knee my shirt over my knees and my head into my shirt and breathe through my nose and my mouth because it's the only thing that i can do to produce heat trying to figure out how the fuck did i get here right like so my mother's a nuclear physicist my brother's an attorney in the white house my father dies direct result of disease of addiction i received my first skateboard at seven i'm doing a commercial with jordan touring the tour the world with tony hawk and in theory, I've, I've done some things in life that people would equate to success, happiness, potentially even dream of doing at a young age. In reality, I've now been in eight inpatient treatment centers. I'm beginning to lose count of outpatients and detoxes. My mother has taken it upon herself to secure me a plot because she fears that like, if she dies, who will take care of me? But I somehow trip and I fall into those movies, Jack, Guess. And these TV shows called Viva La Bam. And, and these movies are wildly successful. They break box office records every time they step in. And, and now, just like in the skateboarding world, within that world, my paychecks are being diverted to my second ex-fiance, um, who I really loved, but they had a pattern of trying to stand between me and heroin. So of course they have to fucking go. And in this jackass world, they're like, well, if we book him the flight to come out and film, will he make the flight? Let's say we book him the flight and he makes the flight. What condition will he be in when he gets here? Or better yet, let's say we book him the flight and he makes the flight. Is the same thing that happened last time going to happen this time? Or if to kick the bathroom door down here at Paramount Studios and find him dead on the ground with a needle in his arm. It's not a good look for the work world. But my delusional alcoholic brain that I possess that lies to me in my own voice that makes me believe the unbelievable would tell me that the jackass world needs me. It cannot go on without me and I am an asset. And in reality, the jackass world does not need me. It goes on quite fine without me and I'm a liability. But the reality is I'm the last person to come to that realization because I possess this job that consists of knowing everything. So when I put my hand up and I say, my name is Brandon, I'm an alcoholic, I'm an addict, all that simply means is that I'm defiant by nature, I hate authority, and I refuse to conform, right? Because I possess that job that consists of knowing everything. So when when some people with my best interests, like Kevin, uh, would suggest to me what I could do to potentially save my life, I'd suggest why he should fuck off. <laughs> because I know, and my resume states that I know some shit, you know, yeah. and and, and it, which just kind of fucks me even more. And again, everything was live forward and learn backwards. And later on down the road, I came to the realization that what I knew is I had no idea. Right. But nonetheless, that's later. I'm not there yet because uh, I still haven't figured out and I have a few plans. <laughs> and, and, and now, like, why would I go to treatment center number nine? Why would I go to number nine? What is nine going to teach me that eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, or one has missed me? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm no fool by any means. I, I pride myself on being an outside the box thinker. And, and as a matter of fact, I don't think any of us end up in sobriety because we took the short bus to school. Quite the contrary. Actually, I believe we get here because we're too smart for our own goddamn good. And then once we get here, me, myself, I've seen me think myself out of this seat so many times before. Yeah. Um, I've watched me do it. But I have a plan. And this plan is sure to work, but it doesn't entail going to treatment center number nine. I'm going to move to Helsinki, Finland. Yeah. Right? 
you know, good call. Got good dope there too. <laughs> you guys get it. Go yeah. get it. Sorry. Well, I mean, I'm going to go to Finland. Like it, it's across the world. They don't even speak my language, right? I'm going to go there. I'm going to regroup. I'm going to rebrand. I'm going to reassess. I'm going to reevaluate my life because I don't like the results that I'm receiving in Westchester, Pennsylvania or Baltimore, Maryland. From a very young age, my mother used to tell me, show me who you walk with. I'll tell you who you are. Which then transcended right into this delusional narrative that my alcoholic brain would always create, thinking that one of my therapists, upon one of my attempts to getting sober, told me that social acceptability equals personal recovery, right? Mm -hmm. So, so I believed. Show me who you walk with, I'll tell you who you are. Which then transcended into uh, social acceptability equaling personal recovery. Ultimately, just equating to always trying to fill this internal void with external solution by way of money, property, or prestige, which, as you know, always diverts me or any of us from our primary purpose, which mm -hmm. is sobriety. Um, but as long as the woman was pretty enough, the account was high enough, the home was big enough, the car was new enough, and you validated those things for me, then I had to be doing fucking well. In reality, I couldn't keep a needle out of my arm to save my life. But nonetheless, I, I go to Philadelphia Airport, and I, I board a flight to, to Helsinki, and and, and upon arriving there, I have a carrier service take me to the Ritz-Carlton of Helsinki because what junkie would stay at the Ritz-Carlton. Huh. Uh, the concierge <laughs> desk takes my clothes to my room. I, I beeline it to the lobby bar. I, I pass these, these businessmen in these expensive suits having these meetings in all these different languages. Right? Show me who you walk with. I'll tell you who you are. Right? High bottom at this point that I don't even see as a bottom. And uh, I go to the bar and I order a glass of wine followed by a second and there's four glasses to a bottle. I'm now graduated to the bottle. And I meet a gentleman at the bar. He slides me a number. And I'm now having black tar heroin delivered to me in abundance. And, uh, and I'm in the bathroom. And I'm doing what I do. And, and I call my sponsor, Lex, at the time. And I said, Lex, how the fuck did this happen? I was not supposed to do what I was doing in Westchester or Baltimore. And how the fuck did this happen? And he said, well, if you have a second, I'd like to share with you something. But I know you're a very busy man with a really full itinerary. And, and after all, these international calls are quite pricey. And I said, what? Like, I could see what he was doing, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and I said, what, Lex? And he said, what? Well, I guess you skimmed over the part where we talked about in the book, geographical change not equating to sobriety. You can't shake your shadow. I put you in Finland, you shoot dope. I put you in Tallinn, you shoot dope. I put you in Estonia, you shoot dope. I put you in, you know, Philly, Boston, California, Florida, you shoot dope. You people talk about what triggers are and, and triggers are when my eyelids open, right? Like I'll justify when any time, place, feeling or sensation makes sense to get high over. And if you said, if you have another second, I'd like to share with you something. But again, international calls are really pricey. Yeah. Man with a full itinerary. Super busy. Yeah. And I'm like, what, Lex? And he said, I want you to do me a favor. He said, I want you to stop what you're doing. I want you to take that needle out of your arm. And then I want you to lift your head up, stare directly into the mirror in front of you and tell me what you see. He said, better yet, don't say a fucking word. I'm going to tell you what you see. You are staring directly into the eyes of your problem. You are your problem. The heroin that you're sticking into your arm is merely your solution to your problem. And for one of, again, one of the rare handful of moments in time, you're allowing me to stand between your solution. And right now you feel like a stranger in your own skin. 
trying to figure out who the fuck let you in and why. And I said, you know what, Lex? These international calls are quite pricey. Click. Click. <laughs> yeah. So I, I leave the fucking bathroom, go back to the concierge desk. They get my clothes and I fly right back to Philly. Never even made it to my room. Oh, wow. Clearly, Finland is the problem. Yeah, <laughs> right? you gotta get out of here. Yes, <laughs> Finland's the problem. The international calls are too pricey. Fucking, <laughs> you know. And and looking back, all I was doing was rearranging the furniture on the Titanic. But my ship sank every goddamn time. I, I just couldn't understand that at the time. So then I, I beeline it back, and you know, at this point, I've now been in. 11 inpatient treatment centers. I've lost count of outpatients and detoxes. My mother has bought me a plot. People have begun to take life insurance policies out on me. I've been medevac to four different hospitals in four different states from four different overdoses. Damn. Uh, my mother has sold three homes to pay for me to go to two treatment centers. In the beginning of my alcoholism, she would get on her knees and she'd pray to God, please, God, don't let tonight be the night that I received that call that my son has, has finally circumvented to his addiction. Please, not tonight. Two at the end, her getting on the knees, praying to God, please let tonight be the night that I finally get that call that he's yeah. died. Just so yeah. I can have a peace of mind knowing he's safe once and for all. Yeah. And uh, I, I couldn't understand how I had gotten there. Because I had goals, I had dreams, I had aspirations, I had ambitions. I was going to be somebody and I became somebody. It just didn't make sense. And... What would treatment center number 13 going to teach me that 12, 11, 10, 9, 8 has missed? Like, why? Uh, at this point, I'm like a, a homeless heroin addict who just wants to kill himself on a daily basis. I'm just terrified of hurting myself in the process. I'm like terrible at suicide because I keep fucking waking up. And I'm starting to find myself in a position in life where I'm so low, the curve looks like a skyscraper, but not yet. And then soon I'm going to end up on life support here coming up but not yet but i have another plan and it doesn't involve me leaving the country but it doesn't involve me going to treatment either I'm, I'm gonna write a book and remember i don't believe we get here because we took the short bus to school i'm gonna write a book i have no high school diploma i have no ged i get my ged in the penitentiary after my first book is published but I'm going to write a book and I go to the Barnes and Nobles and I get one of my favorite authors books and, and his book is written in 12 chapters. So I put a, a, a timeline, a storyline out for how I'm going to write this book, 12 chapters. I take pen to paper and I write 12 chapters and then I get a literary agent who's a very smart man with letters in front and behind his name. He's a professor. And, and I hand him my 12 chapters and, and he turns 12 chapters into 23 chapters we get a literary agent. The literary agent shops my manuscript around. A whole lot of no's, a few yeses. We come to an agreement with Kensington Publishers, Citadel Press. So not like you pay, you pony up a few grand and some ghostwriter writes your story. Like, like uh, I've now written an autobiography addiction memoir that can be bought in any bookstore in the nation for the most part. Um, this book does insanely well. As a matter of fact, to bring it current, we just got an email from the publisher saying it's just been revised in its 13th edition. Wow. I don't know if you guys know much about books, but in the literary world, that's unheard of. Most books don't make it past their first edition. This bitch has been revised 13 times. It's a wow. big deal. 
um, the book becomes a New York Times top 10 seller. I am now receiving hundreds of thousands of pieces of mail from all over the world. And the reason why I know this is because, remember I told you I got my GED in the penitentiary after the first book was published. I end up doing time. I get my GED while I'm in there doing that time after this book was published. But I end up in the hole in solitary confinement. And, um, and you can't, get commissary, you can't have a TV, you can read a Bible if you have it, no phone calls, 23 and one, you're allowed out for an hour a day. Oh, and, and, and I was detoxing off of methadone, Xanax, and, <laughs> God and uh, but what you could have is mail. So I opened it up to my fans and they'd sent thousands of pieces of mail from all these different languages. And, and people saying, Novak, I read your book. I didn't want my story to get as bad as yours. I have 30 days sober or like father saying, I read your book. I understand when my daughter picks the bottle over coming to visit me on the weekend. It's not that I'm a bad dad. It's that she suffers with the disease of alcoholism. My delusional alcoholic brain just told me I wrote the second big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. <laughs> and I believed it. I, I really believed that. And so now I'm this like fucking author who's recognized and 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 getting a lot of you know attention from this and it's doing a lot of good and and the night my book's being released in Times Square in New York City um my literary agent's there my manager's there the publishers are there the very well-to-do people in that scholarly world have, have showed up for this event my family and but unfortunately I don't have any heroin that day oh god and, um, <clears throat> And I looked to my assistant, CJ, and I said, CJ, give me $100. And he said, I will not give you $100. And I said, need I remind you whose payroll you're on here? <laughs> and it's not like I was living fucking the lap of luxury, but like, and I had no uh, ability to get to my money, clearly. Everyone kind of like, and I didn't have tons of it, but people just kind of kept things protected what little they could. Um, and... And, and he said, I refuse to give you another opportunity to blow yet another chance. No. And, and now as he's saying that, they're wheeling my books in on this dolly in these boxes to set up the displays. And, and I have a buddy of mine with me from Baltimore, and he doesn't feel good either. And we take one look at each other, and we have that, that complete conversation, that language of the heart untreated, if you will. And with that, he stands up, I stand up. In uniform precision, we go over. I grab two boxes of my books. He picks up two boxes of my books. We run out of the Barnes & Noble. We've now just stolen four boxes of my addiction memoir books from my own book release party. And we jump on the train from Penn Station yes. back to Baltimore to sell the four boxes of books to get money to buy more dope. Oh <laughs> and I couldn't understand. Like, how? how you know and looking back i can see today how i got there right i got there because i had a closed mind and a closed heart i compared out proving a point why i didn't belong focusing only on the differences never the similarities all while possessing that job that consisted of knowing everything is how i ended up here all the time so we we sell the books we shoot the dope he goes his way i go mine come back to philly and and attempt to get into my fiance second ex-fiance's home and and, and a common theme of my story is that locks stop working in, in, uh, 
and, and the lock stopped working. So I do the next best thing and I kick the fucking door in. And when I kicked the door in, the, the home is completely empty. She had taken our furniture. She had taken our, 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 our paintings, our, our cats, my clothes, her clothes, you name it, she'd taken it. And I ended up in this house on the floor in a fetal position, crying uncontrollably. And it dawned on me at that moment, this home is now a spitting image of what I've become. This, this big empty shell of a house now consoles this big empty shell of a man lying on the floor in a fetal position, crying uncontrollably. And the only thing I can think of at that very moment, and I'll never forget it, the only thing that I can think of at that fucking moment is the older gentleman from the first treatment center that said, do yourself a favor, boy. Don't turn 18 in a place like this. The impact that that story had on me, unbeknownst to me, that I'll never be able to shake. And at that point, my mother reaches out to me and she lives in Baltimore City and this is around eight years ago. And in Baltimore around eight years ago, the police killed a young black man by the name of Freddie Gray. And when that incident occurred, Baltimore City turned into the movie, The Purge. They were robbing, they were looting, they were shooting, they were stealing. They, they brought the National Guard in that stood on every corner with machine guns and tanks. And, 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 and they infused the eight o'clock curfew. No one was to be on the streets. And my mother lives around 15 blocks from where that had occurred. And she was terrified. And she's crying uncontrollably and, and asked if I could come help her and save her. She's in fear that her house is going to be burnt down. And so in theory, I'm going to do anything I can to save this woman's life. This woman means more to me than anything in this world. But in reality, my disease says, that's real cute, bitch. <laughs> it's real cute, your little plan here. But I'm going to show you what your fucking reality is going to look like. And I jump on a train and I go back and I, I physically put her out of her bedroom. I take that bedroom over. She now sleeps on the sofa in the living room floor because she's in fear that I'm going to burn her house down because I chain smoke while shooting dope and I fall asleep. And she's in thoughts of like, if I catch her house on fire and she's sleeping on the sofa next to the front door, she could probably make it out alive kind of thing. And, uh, and now a series of events take place I, I basically end up at the airport trying to board a flight to Fort Lauderdale to live with this stripper. Um, she, she's bought my airfare and she's got drugs waiting for me. And, and, and I tried to buy some dope before I got on this flight, but I got robbed and they ripped my front and my back pockets completely out. And I didn't have underwear on at the time. So, so now my dick and my ass are completely exposed. I have this button up shirt on. They ripped the shirt open. The only button to stay button was my very top button. And I had these shoes on with one shoestring because I lost one along the way, if you know what I mean. And all I own at this point in my life, legit, all I own, and the bag is still in my closet, is, is I own eight scarves, two jackets, three socks, a stick of deodorant. It all fits into that bag that doubles as my pillow, a needle, a spoon, and a restraining order. At 38 years old, that's all I own. Um, and I attempt to board this flight. They, they refuse me access to the flight. My sponsor picks me up, tells me to go on the train, goes back to Philly. I go to Philly. He lets me stay with him. They allow me to go to treatment. I successfully complete treatment for my first time in my life. Uh, not first time in my life, but, but I complete it 90 days. And from there, in that treatment center, they taught me things like if I changed my perception, I could change my world. And that one day my defects could become my assets. I went from the treatment center to a sober living house where I lived for one year. Uh, my mother called me nine months into my process of sobriety and she said, I hate when you come to visit. I said, why? She said, because I get so sad when you leave. Um, 
you know, for my, my second year anniversary, I flew to Paris to pick up my, my two year medallion. On my third year anniversary, I bought a home. On my fourth year anniversary, I went to Amsterdam to an AA meeting and got my medallion. Most people don't equate Amsterdam. <laughs> Strange place to, right? to go to go pick up a medallion. But, but the reality is, man, uh, I always say God of my, the God of my understanding brought me to AA and AA via the 12 steps have brought me back to the God of my understanding. And, and I've had that spiritual experience. And the definition of a spiritual experience simply means a psychic change. So I today no longer think how I thought walking into treatment center number 13. I'm a free man. They can go anywhere with anybody, anytime I like. And I take advantage of that. But I only do that because I have the disease called alcoholism, not alcoholism. And I can't stay sober on yesterday's sobriety, right? So I'm very uh, proactive in my recovery and, and I take it very seriously but I also fucking don't, you know, and, and I can do what I want when I want. And I have a healthy respect for it. I do. Um, on my fifth year anniversary that you fucking nut jobs, you told me like I, in order for me to keep what I had, I had to give it away. So I, I vowed that when I found myself in a position, I was going to recreate that sober living house I lived in for a year. And, and I did that. And I opened up a sober living house in Wilmington called Novak's house. And that was one house with 10 beds. And today I have four houses with 40 beds. And I scholarship nine out of 10 of the men that walk through those doors. That's kind of the why to my purpose is to refusing to let the price be a deterrent as to why someone can't find adequate care upon completing treatment. That's awesome. May 25th, 2022, I celebrated seven years of sobriety, man. So that's my fucking long, short-winded version of my story. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Oh man, Brandon! Dude, I'm that... glad you're here, man. Woo. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, that's uh, you know, in the spirit of recording a podcast, I, 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 we have to move on to a next question. But man, I could sit here and just look at you for for five minutes if I could. After that story, now you're getting a little perverted. Well, <laughs> you don't even know what I'm thinking, fucker. <laughs> now you have me engaged. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for sharing all that. Oh, man, what a ride. You know, the the theme that I kept hearing was a lot of, um, you know, when you listed the the aspirations, the the you did it so so quick. Um, but what you achieved, your achievements, what you achieved so early in life, it almost just felt like, you know, upon that, after being with your idols, after making the team, after traveling, the, it's like you, what else, what else was there? You know, once you got to that point and you made that decision, do you want to quit the team or do you want to go on about your way and you quit the team? I just wonder in your head, was it like, I've already, I've achieved everything I've wanted to achieve? Not really. I mean, I go to, I could, we could go down all these different rabbit holes. But yeah. for us, the chicken or the egg, I believe I was genetically predisposed to alcoholism from my father, which in turn got it from his father. And I'm the only son by my father. My brother and sister are by different men. So, you know, once I fucking realized that it, it just happened really quick, really fast. And I really didn't have any say so in the matter. That's my story. So I, I never got to a place where I'm like, oh, I've achieved it. I'm good. I'm, you know. I hate the fucking saying, but it's true now that I'm thinking about it. You know, I take a drink, the drink takes a drink, then the drink takes me. That's that's, that's what happened. Yeah. 
like legit yeah. and i it was so progressively fast that i didn't even see it yeah. now now that you've been sober for a while like what what is your kind of self-care spiritual practice look like or self-care in general spiritual yeah. you know like what do you, what do you do to remain kind of self-aware and keep yourself in check Dude, I was beaten so bad when I came in that I was like a sponge that absorbed everything they told me. And, yeah, and, me too. And like, I didn't come in wanting the woman, wanting the house. Like, I, I could have cared less about any of that. I just didn't want to hurt anymore. And I wanted some security and stability. And they told me if I stick to the basics, I don't have to go back to the basics. And today, I live my life, the, the few basic core things, just like I did when I was in that treatment center, which was a... a uh, a state funded $2 program that cost me, cost me two bucks to get into. And, and before I smoked at the time, I don't self-care, but before you could leave your room in the morning, you had to have your, they GI your room. You have to GI it and they'd come and they would approve you to be able to go out and have your first smoke. So everyone rooms were meticulous. <laughs> You'll live that way today. If you came in my house two days in a row, my bed wasn't made. Like there's a problem on the horizon and that might seem rather insignificant to most but to me it's very near and dear to my heart and and my house is in order right i have a filing cabinet everything has a a, a place and an order and 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 my life is somewhat monotonous although it's not i'm all over the place i'm traveling here i'm doing this i'm doing that but it's pretty even keel internally right like i'm not really discombobulated i'm not like out of sorts it's it's monotone and that's how I like it. Um, I, I, I pray, I have a very healthy life uh, relationship with, with my higher power. Um, I start my day every day, five days a week in the gym. Um, I, I, I don't drink sodas. I only drink water and, and tea, hot tea. I, I, I try my food. I'm not a nut that like counts carbs and does all that. That'll drive me insane. But what I try to live by is that my food has a life, meaning that like if I don't eat it within seven days, it goes bad, right? So trying to cut out as much processed stuff as possible, but I don't fucking go crazy if that's what I eat. I just make a conscious effort to do better. Um, quit smoking almost five years ago. I don't smoke. I don't vape. Nice. I have supplements. And to be honest, today at 43 years old, I'm in the best condition I've ever been in physically, mentally, spiritually financially you know you still skating yeah I, I actually i just went to barcelona i filmed a video part and i have a whole video part along with a board that i'm dropping in the, nice. like the next few months and it's nice. the best video part i've ever put out is that still a pretty big part of your life i mean is that is that kind of where your focus is right now is, is skate stuff uh i'm focused everywhere yeah um, but if you go, if you follow my Instagram, I just filmed this new trick that took me months to get, and I just posted it. I, saw I, it. I filmed that on Halloween night, you know. And skateboarding is the only thing that does for me what nothing else could have ever done, which I spent a lot of money trying to make it do, which was shut this off. Like, mm. and I didn't realize that till I was filming my video part, and I couldn't make this trick, and it took me like months to get it, a few sprained ankles in the process. And one day I was furious and I was fucking throwing my board and I, I was just so angry. And at that moment, it dawned on me that this is why I love skateboarding. Because although I was so angry, I wasn't thinking about 
the fucking phone, the business deal, the woman, the lack thereof, the cats, the mortgages, the, the, the whatever. I was like in the moment. I was in the moment. And that was, and that you would think that that would have dawned on me like when I did it every day for a living. <laughs> but it dawned on me now at 42 when it's like a, a, a project of passion. <laughs> Brandon Novak, why do you care? Because too many people don't. Oh, yeah. Beautiful. I mean that. I mean that. Yeah. Beautiful. And for the longest time, people had to stop caring about me. It wasn't that people didn't. They had to stop for yeah. the safety of their own fucking well-being. Yeah. Yeah. Well, dude, we really appreciate you, man. Thanks for everything you do in the recovery community, and thanks for looking out for my boys, Kevin and Jeremy. And, uh, yeah, man. Hey, this is good. As is anything good in life, man. I get so frustrated, kick and scream the whole way doing it, and then I do it, and I'm like, that was so awesome. So I really appreciate you, boys. Sorry to make you get on your laptop, bro. <laughs> Love you, man. Appreciate you, you, man. Brother. Love you. Later. The information and opinions shared on this podcast are solely those of the hosts and guests and are not a substitute for medical advice. If you feel like you may need professional help, here are some resources. For the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration hotline, call 1-800-662-4357 or visit smsa.gov. For listeners in the Charlotte, North Carolina community, visit dilworthcenter.org or call 704-372-6969 or visit theblanchardinstitute.com or call 704-288-1097.